Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to episode seven of the Dynasty Dad podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore Dad FF. And before we get to our great host today, I want to talk about DraftKits.co. You got the draft board here behind me. They have the most phenomenal draft boards out there. The one behind me is a reusable draft board that I'm going to use year in and year out. We just had our, our draft with uh, my four kids. They had their draft and had a phenomenal time. You know, high graphic player stickers the best boards around you know they are the 101 when it comes to that go to draftkits.co put in the code dad and you guys will get 10 percent off and speaking of the 101 you know i've been following this guy for a while and i heard him on the dynasty blueprint talking about roster construction and you know he's a writer at dlf the host of the dynasty chill pod co-host of at chase the helmet four-time ffpc main event champ and what i really like is he put he's a high volume dynasty addict welcome to the show scott connor Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I've been listening to uh, your pods as well. So happy to be here and talk some some theory and some strategy. I mean, it's great to talk players and it's great to talk trade values. Uh, but ultimately, my goal, why I started even doing a podcast was to get a lot of the thinking aspects out there. That's what I think people can learn most. And then, you know, you can make your own opinions after that. So glad to be here. Absolutely. I love doing that aspect of it. You know, I've been doing a lot of what I call dad lessons. You know, we did a one on, on rebuild and we're going to do one, you know, on retooling teams and really try to teach people lessons as, as opposed to just looking at players and just say, well, I prefer player X over player Y, you know, and why do you prefer that player or how should you go about those roster construction? Um, before we really get into roster construction, you know, why don't you tell the listeners uh, how you got your start in fantasy football? Um, you know, when you started playing to where you are now? Yeah, so fantasy football, like a lot of others, goes way back. I mean, I started playing fantasy football in junior high school. You were talking 11, 12 years old, which I'm 36 now, so we're talking 25 years ago. And it was, back then, it was a totally different game. It was more of like, hey, let's just sign up for a fantasy football league. And it was super basic, you know, very few starters, I, I cannot even remember if I ever looked at like the scoring or anything like that. I just simply bit, went on whatever website you were on. It was like, here's the projections, pick players that I like. And so and that's at, how it started. At, at that time, you were actually even, you had to wait till Monday sometimes to see, you know, like I've been playing for 25 oh, yeah. years and you had, you're like, you don't even know what the scores were because they didn't update back then. So you like, I think. Carson Palmer had a really good game, but you know, we got to see what the fantasy points like tune out. And I remember writing down the notes. I were like, you know, doing the mental math myself, trying to see where you're at. But yeah, sorry to cut you off. It just brought back some memories there. 
No, it, it actually brings back memories of, I can't remember what year it was, but uh, I used to play on Yahoo and they would do, they implemented their live scoring. And it was like, there's one year where you could actually pay a bonus. You, know, you pay a fee to get the live scoring throughout the year. And you're, I was like, oh my gosh, like live scoring where it like updated within like a minute of the play happening on TV. And now it's like, we look forward and literally as the play happens on your TV, they're ticking the fantasy point on your app. It's like, it's just crazy how far we've come. But I, you know, I came from that point in playing fantasy and it was just strictly a, it came around once a year, did my draft in August or whatnot and, you know, played till the season was over and then didn't think about it again. You know, I, I loved a lot of other sports. I played a lot of other sports. So it was never like 24, seven, 365 football like it is now. And then fast forward, I really didn't start playing dynasty until 2014 around then is when I started playing dynasty. And I really didn't start playing like multiple dynasty leagues where it was like, Hey, I, I want to seek out a league to join until like 2016. And that's when I really started saying, okay, if I'm going to get into this, I need to start trying a whole bunch of different types of leagues. You know, I got into full IDP leagues and super flex leagues and two QB leagues and 16 team leagues. I kind of just dove head in. And then, you know, 2020, I'm, I think I'm at 53 now with two, uh, two startups left to go this year. And I think that'll be it. But yeah, it kind of just turned from a, you know, I started, I had some keeper leagues um, in the early 2010s and then it really just turned into dynasty. I think my first true dynasty league was 2014. So it really hasn't been that long, honestly. Yeah, that's the same. I mean, for me, it was 2015 when I saw those rookie class from 2014. I'm like, I got to get into this. You know, I always did the, I did the keepers and then I did my own version of the, you know, of dynasty where it was like you, you had to play X amount for each player in an auction. And then the next year you had to choose if you were keeping them. So it was like, it's all a gateway. And then it builds into dynasty and then you get one league. Then the next thing you know, you got five, I'm up mm -hmm. to 15. I see you're going to be at 55, you know, it's, and, and people are like, how do you put it all together? And I'm like, you're in one league, right? So there you're like watching the game totally different, right? You're cheering for just your guy. When you got 15 or 55 teams, you know, you're, you're playing it to be a fan of the game again. You're not sitting there being, Root right. player X every time because you know it, it's just a totally different situation. Um, so I talked about you know the draft board behind me. My four kids they did their draft. We do a this is our fifth year in a row doing a a draft. Are you a dad yourself? I am not. I'm actually You're getting not? married in okay. about actually six weeks from two days from now. So we're recording this on a Wednesday. Six weeks from Friday, I'll be getting married October 9th. Maybe in the next year. I don't know. Okay. I mean, we'll see. But no, I just just getting started on that journey. There's no contractual obligations. Just as the dynasty <laughs> dad, I got to ask, you know, and, uh, you know, congratulations, you know, on getting married. It's Thank a you. great, great next step here. And, uh, you know, it, it's having kids is a blessing. And for me, it's like it really just ties it all together when they're like I was selling uh, outhouse last night. You know, my daughter, she shows up to the draft with three pages of notes from fantasy pros ADP where she was writing stuff <laughs> nice. down because we play for it and she's 11, you know, and like, it's just proud dad moments. So this time of season, you have 55 rosters you're looking at, you know, or 53 and soon to be 55. How do you assess your rosters? You know, how, take, take me through the process right now of what you're trying to do, you know, all off season in this non point scoring season, we're trying to fine tune rosters and, and do things like that. What are you doing right now? You know, we are almost two weeks from the season. Run me through, you know, your thought process and how you handle your teams. Well, so a caveat, you know, I, I will give advice a lot of times or come to a conclusion a lot of times, but 
you mentioned you're in 15 leagues. A lot of what I say applies to somebody that is in multiple leagues. And people will ask me, well, how do you play in so many leagues? How do you keep your players straight? Who do you root for? Because when you get into a certain amount of leagues, every single play basically impacts you one way or the other. You're either going against or for a player. Sometimes it's eight different leagues you're going against that one player or or has that player on your team. So a lot of my advice stems from, you know, assuming that you're playing in a lot of leagues. You know, if you're in one league, I'm never going to fault somebody for saying, I'm going to pick players off my favorite team from my college, players that I love watching, you know. So a lot of advice has to be very contextual. I think once you get to a certain number of leagues, you can probably attest to this. You're in 15. 17 is really no different than 15. Once you're kind of all in in this space and you're following it all year, you know, 24-7, there's NFL news every single day. There's dynasty things to think about every single day. So once you're, to, once you're there, running another league or setting another lineup or doing another draft, it's kind of like second nature. So the, the marginal work that it takes to add five more leagues to your 15, you know, as long as you can afford it, it really isn't that big a deal. So a lot of my advice stems from that. But to answer your question, honestly, a lot of the work is already done. I think that I've found, especially this year, and maybe it's a little different this year, I've found a lot of stagnancy in a lot of my leagues the last couple months. People are just really unsure about what this season is going to look like. I was joking today. I'll send out offers where I'm just trying to generate some activity in a league. I'll send an owner draft picks and they'll go, no, I think I'm going to contend. So then I'll send them an offer for draft picks. No, I don't want to move my picks. And it's the same owner that'll basically be playing both sides just because they're not sure. One of my things that I've been saying ever since rookie drafts is sell players at cost for draft picks. Because I'm expecting this year to be a season with more chaos, variance, injuries, missed games, whatever it might be. And it depends on your league. If you're in a league that has 40 roster spots, it's going to be a lot harder to replace some of those injuries or value off the waiver wire. But you're in just a a standard 12-team league with 25 roster spots. Those back five or 10 players on your team are really no more valuable than players on the waiver wire. If you know what you're doing, you can always find points on the waiver wire, especially at maybe backup quarterback this year. I mean, who knows how many quarterbacks are going to start games, but I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of backups on waiver wires like that that could be startable. So I've been saying all year, forget about the 2021 class. You know, I'm. I, we can talk about that a little later, but I think if I can sell Brandon Ayuk for a 2021 first in Superflex, I'll just do it. I don't care where my team is. I don't care if I'm rebuilding. The same goes to contenders. People will say, well, I don't want to sell Adam Thielen for a first if I'm the best team in the league. Do it. Because I think the chances, now if you're not active, if you're in a league that isn't active at all, maybe you got to think twice. But that's not something I can answer unless you tell me specifically about your league. If you can get the price for draft picks, push it into the future and wait to see what happens in this season. I guarantee there's going to be pockets of time for a lot of teams this year where you're going to want to have those picks. Worst case scenario, you carry them over to next year. But I think the replacement value of a lot of rosters is going to create this chasm this year where, and you may have heard me say this, I think almost every team can contend this season. I I think it's not going to be like most seasons, unless you're just completely tanking and you're just not there and you're not really going to try. Okay, you probably can't contend. But if you're sitting there in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth place, I don't think you should kind of pick a direction right now. I think you should err on just the value play, even if that means selling win now players, sell them for picks because... I think there's going to be some times this year, more so than most years, where just having guys on the field and scoring points, they're going to be available in trade. 
So I'd rather push my assets to the future. So that's one thing I've been doing. I have, I just calculated this morning, uh, of my 51 leagues, I have two startups coming. So 51 leagues, I have 82 first rounders in 2021 and I have 76 second round picks. So I've, I, I think I've achieved that to where I'm probably now in the top 10% or so of my leagues in terms of, I have more draft capital than most. So if I ever want to turn on a dime and go, Hey, I thought this team was a, a top five team, but maybe not a championship contender, but dude, everything's broken right for me the first month. I'm four and oh, and I'm smashing it. But now I have five picks in the first two rounds. I can go by, I can turn a team that I thought was average into the best team and make a run. So I think you have to stay flexible that time of the year. This is the, the main time. And we're getting close to the point where it's hard to do that. You know, you have some training camp hype, but after that, it's like season's going to be kicking off here in two weeks. So that's been my plan mostly is just develop my rosters to have extra assets going into the year. I absolutely love that mentality. And there's a lot of people that come on Twitter and they're like, Hey dad, should I be trading this player? Should I trade that? And picks are the most fluid asset you have. You know, Adam Thielen might not be attractive to, you know, every owner in the league, but that first round pick is going to be attractive. And when you're talking about your guy, you get into crunch time and your players, you know, God forget, forbid, get COVID or they get an injury. You have those picks that everybody wants picks, you know, and that's, that's a great mentality and everybody should be, you know, taking notes on that. I feel like a lot of people right now, or I'm seeing a major overreaction on Twitter of people giving away 21 picks. And I was on sideline squib podcast the other day and they were asking me, are you devaluating 2021 picks? You know, should we just not be looking at 21 picks as the same value as a normal first round pick? And I said, they are still first round picks. I mean, you were still first round picks, still second round picks. If you can pick those up at any kind of value, absolutely do that all day long. And I feel like there's a lot of owners that are just getting really worried about things. And they're, they're wondering, you know, if these college players aren't playing this year, what is, what's the draft stock going to look like? Who are they there? And I said, those studs are still going to be studs. You're still going to want your opportunities to get Lawrence and, and, and Etienne and, and Hubbard and all those kind of things. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, this, this goes down to a totally different rabbit hole than what we were going to talk about initially. But my theory is that the lack of a college season this year, and we still have some conferences that are going to play. I mean, right now, as we're doing this show, the ACC, the SEC, and the, and the big 12 are still planning on having a season. Now it's not going to be a full season. There's not going to be a lot of out of conference games, but you're still going to have something, right? So you're still going to get even if it's just 10 games of film on players. Now, the context of the stats may be a little bit differently than comparing them to historical context, but I think we're still going to have some semblance of football. Now, for the teams that are going to not play or going to play in the spring, and I think you're not going to see a lot of good players play if they have a spring season, there, there's no reason to. If you're going to be a, a day two draft pick, there really isn't a reason to play college football, honestly. Uh, but I can understand if some want to, if they think that their stock can be improved by it. But I think what it's really going to do and this goes down into just some theory on pro forecasting the future. I think this is really going to hurt. Uh, the 2022 class already uh, is bad. It's a bad class from a skill yeah. player position. I think it's actually going to hurt that class more from a dynasty perspective. Those are the guys that are going to miss that key. Hey, they were a reserve, but they flashed as a freshman. The sophomore year would have been the chance for them to really break out and get on the radar. They're also going to be missing almost the biggest seasons in terms of some of the analytic models, you're not going to have a lot of those 19 year old breakout receivers because it's just not going to exist. So you're going to have to be basing, you know, what happens if a guy who's really, really talented, take like George Pickens, for instance, one of the best Debbie receivers had a really good year at Georgia last season, 
but now he doesn't. Let's say for some reason they don't play football this year. Then next year he gets hurt going into his junior year and he doesn't play. You're basically saying, can you prognosticate him to be a first round pick? And he hasn't played football in two seasons. And there's going to be a ton of guys like that that would have come out of nowhere and gotten onto the Devi radar or the dynasty radar, you know, after next season, and they're not going to be there. So I think the inefficiencies are going to lag and it's going to affect the 2022 draft already, which was a, a pretty poor draft from a skill position perspective already. So I think that's where we're going to see the holes. 2021, you know, I have a theory that next year, because I'll ask you this, what's going to happen with college football? What is it going to look like next fall? Do you have any clue? No, none of us do. You know, and so that's, that's if, the crazy part. If I'm a player and I have to make a decision by January 20th or whatever it is this upcoming year, right? Because I think the other thing is the NFL has no investment in the NCAA. It is basically a free developmental league that is structured, that has good coaching. They have a major, you know, monetary investment into the product. The NFL just sits back and is like, this is, this is free information for us. We don't have to pay for anything. The NCAA is liable for anything that happens in those first through three years of football. We don't have to worry about it. If they survive that and get to the NFL, great. You know, we basically have three years worth of data and film that we can use. So I don't think the NFL is going to be like, oh, college football, we need you to exist. Let's move around our combine. Let's shift our free agency. Let's move our NFL draft back to June. I, I think they're just going to proceed and say, hey, if you want to deal with that NCAA stuff, go for it. But the NFL is still going to proceed as normal. So I think we're going to see a lot of college players say, uh, you know, maybe I'm a fringe like fifth or sixth round pick. I'm not going back to the NCAA because what if I go back and then my conference doesn't exist how it did, or we don't play a full schedule, or we still have impacts from COVID and we, we don't play. I just risked another year that's another year off the mileage that I'm, you know, I'm giving up to not be able to get paid for playing football. So I think you're going to see a record number of players declare. I think you're going to see with the salary cap going way down, you're going to see NFL teams saying, Hey, you know, this guy's a developmental guy, but we can pay him like $500,000 and he can be our, our fifth cornerback. And we would rather do that than pay a veteran who's averaged 6 million. I think you're going to see some value next year where teams really want a lot of rookies. So I, I think there's going to be a ton of prospects that come in next year and it's going to be great for dynasty because we're going to have like double the pool of players to pick from. I love it. You know, and, and I talked to a lot of different podcasts and that's the first, you know, I've, I've heard that kind of mentality and I love it because everyone's really, they're starting to discount those picks and they're starting to, to worry about what things are going on. And you know, it, it makes total sense and it makes total sense of what you're saying is to, to buy those picks. One thing I love to do. And, and the more I get into dynasty and the more I realize that, this is how I like to do my teams is, is a little bit of retooling this time of year, you know, in the last couple of weeks here doing moves where, you know, I'm, I'm selling a player like, you know, and I hate to even say it cause he's my favorite, but selling a player like Deandre Hopkins, who's at his peak value, he can no longer go up, you know, for DK Metcalf in a first or a guy like that and start to move back a little bit and continue to add those values. Um, do you like to do you retool a lot of your teams this time? I mean, obviously we do it throughout the year, but it's something that I've really I call it an insulated trade where you take, you know, my one particular deal I got in the rookie draft. I got DeAndre. I gave up DeAndre Hopkins. I got Metcalf and the 105. And that turned out to be J.K. Dobbins, which is fantastic value. Another one traded Hopkins got uh, 106 and A.J. Brown. That turned out to be DeAndre Swift. So you can really start to take some of them veterans who are 
at this point, they're not going to be increasing in value and turn those into two players who have an ascending, you know, shot to, to increase in value for you. Yeah, that's a great deal. I mean, I, I think the, one of the things you have to watch is the example you gave, it, it's actually a hard deal to get at this point because a lot of people have caught on and I, I've been advocating this for the last year is especially at wide receiver, the the value curve from like wide receiver seven to eight, all the way to like wide receiver 40 ish. It's almost all the same. I mean, yes, there's some guys that have a lot more market value because, you know, like Juju Smith Schuster was one of those guys. There's just a lot of people that like the guy. So he's going to have higher value than Tyler Boyd. But if you truly look at their production and you look at their age and look at their profiles and you look at their situations and you say, truly, what is the difference? You know, maybe there's a little bit of a difference because, you know, maybe Juju's a little younger. Maybe he has a little higher ceiling. Maybe there's some people that like him more than Tyler Boyd. So I'm always going to get that little bump because people like him, right? And that's what but it what's comes the true? To, I mean, yeah, Boyd's What's in a the small true difference, market, though? And he's yeah, wide but what's the 17. true difference? No, nothing. Exactly. I mean, perceived, perceived upside, you know, and, and Boyd yes. is back-to-back yes. wide receiver 17. But you look at Juju and you look at he was, you know, wide receiver eight. And then he was wide receiver, I believe, 43. You know, so, I mean, there's that huge difference in there. And you're right. I mean, running backs, I feel like, is a little bit of a different scenario. You know, I don't do that too much with them. I am advocating for people right now to move off of Mixon or Dalvin Cook or Kamara to move down to, you know, Jacobs and Sanders and and Edwards Hilaire plus some picks. And that's how I do that with those. But wide receiver, you're right. I mean, obviously, after you get that top, you know, top two tiers, those next three are are very, very similar. Yeah, they are. And I think you can you can look at what I mean, just just an, an exercise people can do. Go pull up whether it's DLF or whatever you use for rankings or ADP, just pull up the receivers specifically and go down the line and say, tell yourself in in five seconds, say the name out loud and then say, why is that player valued there? And a lot of times you highlight a player and you go, well, yeah, he's 22. That's the only reason he's valued where he is. And it's just because the market perceives his upside to be so massive. It's like he did so good last year. If he gets 10% better the next four years, he's literally going to be, Michael Thomas. And right. the, the thing is taking that extra 10 or 20%, you know, from Chris Godwin or DJ Moore to get to Michael Thomas is almost a impossible to predict, but B there could be 15 guys that make that step. And I can't tell you who it's going to be. I can tell you if I think there's a good chance that a receiver is going to hit, you know, for instance, like this year's rookie class, there's six guys. You've probably seen me post this. There's six guys that are going to play their entire rookie years at 21. From a value perspective, if they do anything in their rookie years, they will hit. They're already a hit. I mean, Jerry Judy, CD Lamb, Jalen Rager are already hits because they're already valued as like top 25 receivers. Now, whether that's fair or not, who knows? But I think when we're talking about value-wise, they've already hit. They've hit just because people expect them to do that in year one or year two. Um, but just from a just from a logistical perspective, go down the line and do that exercise and and you'll get to guys and you'll go, well, yeah, that guy's, you know, he's, he's outperformed his like Robert Woods has outperformed his projection or his ADP like seven straight years in redraft. I I wrote about that. Yep. I read at dynasty happy hour and I was like every year he's doing it. And he's right now, I mean, on fantasy pros, I believe he's going as wide receiver 26 and he's been fringe wide receiver one every single year. He outperforms that. One thing you said, and I think it's very important, especially if you're new to dynasty, uh, you know, owning teams and things like that, is to 
engage in conversation and not just, you know, Twitter is great, but being able to be part of a group chat. And I know you were talking about how at you, you mentioned DLF and you kind of got started in the group chat forum. Why don't you tell, you know, owners what like those kind of things are about and, and how that helped you to get to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think the a lot of these things that I'm talking about, and it, it does, like I said, when at the beginning, it helps when you're in a lot of leagues because you can leverage the fact that you have a lot of player shares, you have a lot of teams, you have a lot of flexibility. And we haven't even gotten into, uh, this is part of what I talked about on the Dynasty Blueprint was every league is different. You know, a league where you start three receivers and seven flexes or something crazy like that, even if it's like four flexes, you're going to value like receivers, for instance, higher in that league because you can start more of them. So the threshold of where they kind of cut off is going to be a little bit different. So you can treat the position almost as more replaceable because you can start more of them. Um, but just high level ideas like this, I've found that when you can just crowdsource and have these types of discussions, it can generate you to think because we're in a we're in a place now in Dynasty where the information is abundant. I mean, you can circle through Twitter. There is not enough information. Like, there's no way I could even say I know everything that's going on out there in the Dynasty space, even if I devoted 168 hours a week to doing it. Because there is so much content. There's so many podcasts. And I listen to a lot. I listen to 25 podcasts a day. Because I have a desk job. I just sit there and listen to podcasts all day. And so... Yeah. I'm hearing more I and think, more of that, and I, lo I love it because, you know, there's a guy that's in our listener league, and I was like, how many you listen to? And he's like, I have 32 on rotation, you know, and he's like, yeah. he's like, you know, I, it helps me be a more rounded dynasty owner because I hear what Scott Connor says, and I hear what Mike Royer says, and I hear what, you know, Chad Parsons says, and you put it all together, and you start to say, well, uh, you know, you start to form your dynasty mentality and the way that you yes. want to run your teams, and and I think that's very important. To, to new dynasty you know owners is they have to come up with their own mentality, their own way that they go about constructing their teams. And I think a lot of people really struggle with that because they try to listen to too many people and they don't come up with their own philosophy on how they actually are going to run their teams. Well, and I think, you know, I, I would, I would be lying if I said when I listen to 25, I mean, I listen on two and a half speed. So it's, <laughs> it's a, I'm not listening to 25 hours. I'm listening to more probably like six or seven hours, you know, just during my work day. But I would be lying if I said I listened to an hour long show and I knew everything that they talked about. A lot of it's just background noise. But every once in a while, if you just get one or two points from a show where you're like, oh, he just mentioned that, that he was going to do that with this player. How can I apply that idea to another player? Because the other thing, the great thing with tons of information, information is out there quick. You know, you yeah. mentioned like, DeAndre Hopkins for and for DK Metcalf in a 105. I bet you you couldn't get that deal today no, because no, that was a lot of people trips, exactly. Yeah. And the the problem is as soon as and especially if a big name like Evan Silva or Matt Harmon or someone like that piggybacks on the idea of going, man, this player is a breakout. It's over. The move is done in Dynasty. Yeah. You can't go and make that trade. Eighty percent of your leagues, there's going to be somebody that's already mentioned it in your group chat or the guy with that player is going taking the victory lap on Deontay Johnson already because his value is about to spike. Yep. That's you have to have yep. buy low, sell high and strike while the iron's hot. You're right. Like yeah. we at the dynasty refiner, we were really hyping drew lock Deontay Johnson, you know, all those guys that it made sense in February. Now they're not buys. Now they're, they're too expensive because everybody's caught on to it because everybody, exactly. like you said, the, the big time podcasters talk about it, then the small timers. And then people are starting to talk about it in their group chat. Now all of a sudden, 
you got to move on to the next guy, you know, and you can't overpay for those certain players. You, you can't. And so you almost have to be able to come up with your own ideas. And it's risky as a writer or a podcaster because a lot of podcasts, and I'm sure you've probably seen this, a lot of people just are scared to make a to, to take a convicted stance on something. They just kind of toe the the industry line on everything. They take and the approach. Yeah, absolutely. You almost have to just come up with a process and say, this is what you should do. And if yeah. I'm wrong, I'll own up to it. But it's just like right now, you mentioned running backs, that I'm kind of not the same with running backs. I'm to the point now, If I don't care if you are the best team in the league, I will trade Derrick Henry for J.K. Dobbins. And people will go, that makes no sense. You just have to bank, especially with running backs, you have to bank on A, the talent, the draft capital, the profile. Yeah. But B, you just have to bank on the historical context that these running backs that end up being good, they do it right away. There yeah. is no two, I mean, Derrick Henry took two full years to get started behind DeMarco Murray. That is the exception to the rule. Right. You know, right now, you know, if you go out and try to trade, like you can't trade Dalvin Cook for Jonathan Taylor right now. You, no. you can't. You no. can try. It may need to be have to be the right owner, but I don't. Right. I think you get rejected on most of those deals. Two weeks after the rookie draft, I'm in uh, FFPC Pros versus Joe's with Curtis Patrick, and he traded up the pick before me, and he got Jonathan Taylor at 301. You can't get him there anymore. You know that no. that that ship has passed. And you know what I try to do in my startups is I'm trying to get those running backs early because. RB ones have a 54% hit rate. You know, those one through 12 are going to 54% are going to be there. But when you drop down to RB 13 to 24, only 17% of the time they hit in that RB one through 12 range. So I'm trying to get as many of those guys. And then when the time's right, you trade back and you, and you get some of those guys. Um, other ways to assess your roster right now, you know, there's a lot of different things is I like to look at the core age of my, my team. You know, you talked about trying to make it a, a fluid type roster and Adam Thielen type guys are are players that Mark Ingram guys that you know they're not going to appreciate in value if you can get a pick I, I like that mentality you know what are some other things that you're looking right now as far as what are you trying to do with rosters you know if if people are getting that itch to to make that trades because sometimes I'm a volume trader you know I like to trade sometimes I get trade I make trades in leagues just to get the league rolling again because it gets boring and I'm like all right let's let's get this going you know obviously one's that are really close in value, but what are some other things that you're doing right now to fine tune those rosters? So I'll kind of hit this from each position. Cause actually just on my, uh, my Patreon channel, I finished a, um, a landscape integration for Debbie for each position. So I just a real quick synopsis of each position quarterbacks. I think if you can stomach what you have to pay, it is worth it to pay up for Deshaun Watson or Dak Prescott or one of those big six quarterbacks. I'll throw Joe Burrow in there because I think I'm a Bengals fan, fully transparent. Yes. But everything I've read about Joe Burrow is he's ahead of his time. And yeah. I can guarantee you the way the Bengals run their organization, he will start for 80 games. He will start for five seasons. There will yeah. never be a, well, he's going to be replaced after year two. I mean, that, that's not how the organization is going to work. So he's literally locked in for five seasons as a quarterback. And that's assuming you know, worst case scenario, he's Jameis Winston, you know, where he's, he plays five seasons, then he gets replaced. But so I would throw him into that tier of guys that I'm, I want to go acquire. After that, you look down the quarterback landscape and we saw what happened this past year. How many quarterback jobs came open? How many guys you thought were potentially starters aren't starters? How many guys you never thought would be getting contracts are going to be starters? So I, I go down the line and you see really after quarterback seven with Burrow, he's my quarterback seven. After that, 
I can literally tell you a story where every one of those guys all the way down to the end is not a starter in two years, I love maybe three years. That. Like I said, we and had that, outhouse on last night and we were talking the same thing after QB seven, it, it's very difficult to rank and it's so subjective. And I can see any of them finishing in that range because you know, it, you can have guys you like, I have burrow at nine and I, I was, I was catching some flack for having him at nine, even because people were telling me I should have this guy above him or that guy. And you got to take a stance. You know, when we, Tyler Gunther was on here, the longer you do this and the more you get into dynasty, you got to have your guys, you got to have conviction on your guys. You can't waver and be like, I love Joe Burrow, you know, in the FF or in the uh, ultimate podcasters league, you know, with a UTH and DTC and all those guys, I took Joe Burrow with the one one Cause it was, draft night we actually started the draft right after the first round of the nfl draft and i'm like i gotta have joe burrow you know that's the way to do it in a 14 team super flex to me and you know people were like chiming in but i had conviction that's my guy i'm gonna believe in it and sometimes people really start to waver and they listen to too many people but you got to believe you got to hold stand to your guys sometimes absolutely and so i think quarterbacks you know, if you're feeling a little uneasy about, you know, Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield or something like that, like make a move. It'll hurt at the beginning to pay, you know, two firsts on top of Baker Mayfield to get to Deshaun Watson or something like that. Like you're going to have to probably overpay, yeah. but you're going to be glad because you never know. I can say of the quarterbacks from like eight to 24, there's probably going to be like a 30% attrition rate in the next year or two. And you're going to look back and go, wow, what happened to like Jared Goff? Like he's not a starter anymore. What happened? You know, I thought he was so safe. He was so young, tied to such a great system. And then now they've, they've moved on and you're hoping that he just lands somewhere. So I think you're going to see that a lot of turnover at quarterbacks, especially with the salary cap. Teams are not just going to draft and give guys five years automatically because they're a high draft pick. They're going to be looking to replace them. You know, like there, there can be a lot more Trubisky's. Year four, yeah. he's already on shaky ground because he's not getting better. So I think we're going to see that at quarterback. Running back, here's my advice. Get as many of this year's rookie running backs as you can. And anybody that's a year three, year four, year five running back, I'm fine pivoting. Because what's going to happen is people are worried about Mixon, Kamara, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, Chris Carson, James Conner, all these guys because they're going to hit free agency. The cream is going to rise to the top. Even if these guys all hit free agency there's going to still be running back jobs. You know, Joe Mixon's still going to be a starting running back in the NFL, probably for three or four more years. But the perceived downturn in the value just leaves dynasty owners uneasy. So I want to go into next offseason. I want my running back room to look like Cam Akers, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders. You know, that I'll buy all those guys that survive the next year or two on the back end. Because look at what's right now. What does it cost to go, if you, if you want a running back, you can go pay a first rounder, maybe plus, maybe not. You can go buy David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, Melvin yep. Gordon. You can go buy those guys always. So I think you're going to see a rebound where the next two rookie classes, as I mentioned, 2022 is really weak. 2021, it has some depth at running back, but I think you're going to see a lot of running backs come in next year. That's like Devin Singletary, Alexander Madison, kind of like the late day two running backs that are not going to be threats to starting jobs. Yeah. So I think you're going to see a rebound with a lot of these guys. But if you can trade Nick Chubb for, you know, DeAndre Swift and a second or something like that right now, do it. You can buy Nick Chubb in two years if he still exists. If he still has a job, you can buy him back for a lot cheaper and still get the production. Because I do think we're going to see this running back class that's going to become a free agent after 2020. 
I think we're going to see them last a lot longer than people expect because they're really good. Yeah, I absolutely love what you're saying. And my last two episodes, you actually just said exactly what we've been talking about. We had a running back show. We had a quarterback show and you're saying the exact same thing. So, yeah, I love when, you know, two analysts can kind of be on the same wave with those kind of things. And that's that's something that you guys should be considering, you know, and making sure you're doing those kind of things. Hit us up with wide receivers. How do you look at that? Yeah, so wide receivers, we kind of talked about how uh, how deep it is right now. And we're looking at a class next year that people have promoted to be a wide receiver heavy draft. And I, I've done a lot of early research on, I'm a very much an analytics person. And so without a college season, it's going to be tough to truly put next year's receivers into the same type of matrix that you would for you know past receivers coming into the NFL. But one thing I've found is next year's receiver class, just looking at some early mock draft data, we're probably going to have another... 10 to 12 receivers on day two of the draft, which means what for dynasty, you're, you're going to have an influx of guys coming into the league that we're already going to value as top 50, top 60 receivers just from day one because of their draft capital. Um, so I think we're going to see after next year, we're going to see a saturation point because if you go down the ADP at receivers, there's not a lot of guys in there that are more than like 29 years old. Like there's a lot of receivers in this mix that are 23 to 28 years old. And, you know, we mentioned Adam Thielen, Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett. Like, those guys are not just going to disappear off the face of the earth. You know, a couple of them may, but even a, you know, a 30-year-old Tyler Lockett's going to be a top 70 receiver, top 60 receiver, as long as he's still in the NFL, right? As long as he can yeah. still produce, he's going to hang around in that range. So or I think in two years... Do you look at a guy like Tyler Lockett or Adam Thielen in the same kind of way you were talking about running backs is you're going to pivot to a younger player. And if you want that player later, you can buy them for picks or do you look at it running back and wide receiver totally different in that mentality? Uh, so I do. So yeah, if you could get, you know, if you could swap out Tyler Lockett for Jalen Rager or something like that, I think it's worth doing. I don't think the urgency is the same though, because receiver is so saturated. So the teams that I have, some older receivers, as long as I can mix in a couple younger ones, I'm not as urgent to just hit the reset button on those guys. Cause those are the ones I'm mostly probably hoping they're going to carry me for the next year or two during my season. But I do think you're right. You know, if you have guys that survive into their thirties, they kind of have the, uh, anybody that has a DLF subscription, go look at Julian Edelman and Larry Fitzgerald's ADP for the last like five years. And you can tell literally when it spikes and it spikes right around like startup time where people were are saying, Hey, I'm going to win now. So it goes up a little bit, but it really is just, it's just level. It never is going to go up. The demand for that type of player is never going to be more than a second rounder ever. Sometimes it'll drop even below that, but you can always buy. The idea is at any point I can go buy a 34 year old receiver and pay market price. I'm not going to get, well, Hey, I'm not trading him because he's yeah. just, he's a cornerstone piece of my team. So they're going to be more available. So receivers, I think you can get away with kind of just picking some of your guys. You don't have to be obsessed about pivoting off of buying a couple extra years. Um, but I think we're going to hit a saturation point to where one of my mantras is receivers don't matter. Hashtag wide receivers don't matter. And it's not that they don't matter. They're the cornerstone of your team, but there's so many of them. If there's, you know, let me ask you this. If there's 40 receivers in a tier, what's more valuable? the picks or the receivers. Yeah, there's a, there's a scarce number of picks, right? Exactly. So if you have a team with nine good receivers, why would you not just trade one of them for a first rounder next year? Yeah. You still have eight of them. The wide receiver. And, and we do a little bit with redraft too. It's like, 
I cannot see a scenario where it, it it pays. And we did this with the Scott Fishbowl. We had Ryan, uh, we had Ryan McDowell on. We started talking and going over different mentalities. And a couple of the teams started out first three picks with wide receivers, and those running backs they were able to get are gross. You know, they're looking at guys yes. that are, are rough. And me particularly, I started out. I went with Zeke Eckler, then I took Godwin and Jonathan Taylor. You know, for me, I wanted to pound those running backs early, and then I was able to get the Cortland Sutton, DJ Chark, Robert Woods, those type players in those rounds six, seven, eight, while other guys were trying to, you know, move into those running backs where at that point you're looking at, you know, your Kareem Hunt and guys that are, you know, just going to get partial workloads. Yeah, we um we did a draft uh, with a lot of industry people. Like Evan Silva was in our draft. Ian Harditz was in our draft. My, myself and my uh, FFPC partner, uh, we did a draft with our podcast, the Draft Sharks Invitational. And it was a super flex draft, but it's best ball. And it's basically like you only start nine players. So it's, you know, a super flex, a quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end and a flex spot, you know, a pretty standard league. We literally went running back, quarterback, tight end with the first 12 picks and then just took every single receiver and said, hey, we got to fill three, but we just picked 12. And, you know, we adding guys like Hunter Renfro, Adam Humphreys, Cole Beasley, and it's best ball. So we, we're just basically hoping we can stay afloat at receiver because there's so many of them that produce. And we never have to pick which ones to start in a format like right. that. Very risky. I mean, we literally went, yeah. yeah, we went 12 rounds without taking a receiver. And people had, you know, five, six, seven receivers at that point. And I'm like, you know, but the running backs that we were able to build and the quarterback, I mean, we were, well above replacement at the other three positions. And then it's just, if our receivers come together, we're going to win. If, you know, of the 10 we picked, if five of them get hurt and then we're relying on only five and they're all like wide receiver fours and fives, we're going to, we're going to get crushed. So it's just, you can't do that at other positions. Like you said, you, you can't take all your running backs after round 10 and be like, I'm, I'm going to feel any sort of confidence that I know there's going to be some points coming. So and the yeah, ball receivers. gets spread around. Yeah, the ball gets spread around to your wide receivers. Yes. And in best ball, you're you're gonna have Cole Beasley's gonna have a game where he gives you 15 points. I mean, are you gonna start him in a regular dynasty league? Probably not. You no. know, but it's just he's he's your wide receiver eight or nine on a normal dynasty team. But if you're able to get him, he's gonna have some weeks where he puts that up. Same with Hunter Renfro. So I, I love that mentality. Yeah, I mean, it's you can expand this to dynasty leagues. And you know, I talked about this on Dynasty Blueprint, where if you're in one of these deeper leagues. You can kind of play this way. You don't get the benefits of it fully being best ball, right? But, you know, a lot of times, if you look at the numbers from the past couple seasons, there's been a ton of receivers that have produced high leverage games. You know, last year, I've said this before, 75 receivers had a wide receiver one week last season. But I would show you the names and like 20 of them, you'd be like, dude, that guy was on my waiver wire in my 30-man roster dynasty league. And it's like, yeah, because it, it, it was a fluke. So a lot of that data kind of gets canceled out in shallower dynasty leagues because they're, those guys are never relevant. They're never, they're never in consideration to be in your lineup. So as you get into these deeper formats, you know, where you can start six, seven, eight receivers, you can construct your team totally differently. So I think that's important to know at the receiver position. It's deeper than ever. That's the one position that I don't care if you're in leagues that are 35 roster spots deep. There's always receivers getting points on the waiver wire. They, they might be bad. They have no future value, but hey, there's always somebody, wouldn't you say, that you can find that's going to get five targets yep, that's on your absolutely. waiver wire and they're just random? I mean, that's, that's the one position part. I think you can get away with. 
with, with COVID this year and, and paying attention to news, I mean, obviously David Montgomery got hurt today and people ran out there to the waiver wire. You got to be active. You got to do those kind of things. Corderell Patterson was out there in most of them. And they're talking about him getting some carries. I saw guys picking up Ryan Nall, which is, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit out there, but pay attention to your waiver wire. You know, I, I, I play with a lot of guys and I get a lot of questions about advice and I'm like, did you check your waiver wire? You're like, oh, I missed out on that. You know, it's it's once a week. It's not hard to do. And you can really start to add some value to the end of your bench. And those value pieces, you trade up and you start turning them into better players. So pay attention to that waiver wire. It's always big this time of year. Yeah, and then uh, I'll hit on tight ends real quick because uh, tight ends in Dynasty right now have never been deeper than they are. If you yes. look at just the profiles and the talent, I looked at the ADP from – Two years ago, before, so the season, right after the season ended, before the 2019 class came into the NFL, look at the top 25 in tight end ADP, and it's just littered with older players, guys 28, 29, 30, 31 years old, and then some younger guys that really did not have any pedigree. You know, I love the guy, but like Ricky Seals-Jones was tight end 22, and I mean, he was an undrafted free agent receiver conversion and he's tight end 22. And right now you have David Njoku, tight end 27. And that is a first round pick with an elite profile that simply is just being held down because expectations haven't been met after three years. So tight ends, I just did this show the other day. Next year, you're going to have three tight ends in the top 50 of the NFL draft. You're going to have basically an Irv Smith, Hawkinson, Noah Fant class coming in again. I'm not going to bite the bullet. I'm not going to waste draft picks on those tight ends next year, because there are too many out there right now in dynasty that I don't have to wait for. And so, you know, don't, don't give up on your tight ends, you know, go, if there's any opportunities to go buy OJ Howard, David Njoku, Gerald Everett, Dawson Knox, like any of these guys that are outside the top 20 that people just say, I can't trust them in 2020 buy them because the situation can change like that. And you know, we, we don't have time to go through the exercise, but you could go through 15 tight ends that are outside of like the top eight. And you could write a narrative where those guys are top 12 next year. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's Johnny why I Smith. On, yep. I say it on the podcast all the time. If you're not getting those top four wait. you know, you don't want to be that yeah. guy that you don't want to be pounding those, that middle range there where you're taking the, the Hunter Henry's and the Austin Hoopers wait a little bit and get guys like, I mean, I love Hawkinson Fant. Irv Smith. I got Irv. I got one of all three of those guys on all five of my startups I've done in this offseason because those guys yeah. have elite upside and they have the pedigree to go with it. You know, so I love how you broke down those rosters. And, you know, I, I told you we'd try to keep it around this time. And we've had a I've had a fantastic time talking about how you break down rosters, how you look at the, this. And when I heard you on the Dynasty Blueprint, I was like, I got to get you on here because I got to get some of that knowledge to, to our fans and, and listen to just different mentalities of how to do things. Um, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find your work, some stuff that you might be working on and, uh, you know, anything else you got going on? Yeah. So appreciate you having me on. I uh, love talking about the the theory stuff from dynasty. I mean, that's to me, that's the most stimulating part about our, our game is being able to round table the high level ideas versus just talking trade values and players. Uh, so appreciate you having me on the show on Twitter at Charles chill FFB. Uh, I do have two podcasts. Uh, one is dynasty and chill at dynasty chill pod on Twitter. Another one is chasing the helmet at chase the helmet on Twitter. That's mostly high stakes redraft FFPC stuff. Uh, but actually, for people that are interested in that, we'll actually be, uh, I'm heading to Las Vegas in two weeks, and we'll be doing six main event drafts there live in Vegas. So most of my content will actually be there for the next two weeks. 
with all the the live going ons in um, in Vegas for the drafts this year. Uh, I write at Dynasty League Football. Uh, I usually do like an article a month or so, just either player profiles or something like that. Um, and then also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. Uh, it's really a lot of what you heard today is is really what we talk about in the Patreon channel. It's a lot of theory discussion, strategy discussion, some bonus podcasts from me, um, picking my brain on ideas, economics, um, psychology, that kind of stuff. That that's I have a lot of background in that in my day job. And so trying to implement that into Dynasty can be fascinating and it's a different change of pace. So you can find me on all those places and thanks for having me. Yeah, if you guys aren't following Scott, you really should be. I mean, he is one of the most brilliant minds and, and talking to you for 45 minutes has been an absolute joy, you know, and I, I feel like we got to get you on here again because it was it was fun talking about yeah. this topic. And yeah, I just love talking to different dynasty mentalities with with everybody out there. So thanks again for coming on. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. You know, hit me up on Twitter with all your, your dynasty trades and and any kind of questions you guys have. You can find me at dynasty underscore dad FF. Enjoy the process and go go win some championships. Thanks, man. That was fun. You know, that was it.